This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Winning feels good, and, and then when you know why you're winning, you tend to kind of stay with it, and, and our guys have done a really good job with that the last couple of years. You, know, you just keep preaching to the guys, you're not going to win a series in one night. It's not how it goes. And there's just curveballs and sliders and fastballs, and they're all thrown at you at different times. But if you just keep being consistent with your game, you know, we trust that, that good things will happen. And so tonight was just one. The series is long from over, and but we're happy with tonight. And now we just got to improve upon what we're doing and try and replicate it game two. Everything John Cooper said right there is correct. But I tell you what, being up 1-0 is a lot better than being down 0-1. And I think for the Montreal Canadiens, they're looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning after game one and saying, yeah, this is a this is a pretty good team. This is somebody we haven't faced before in the playoffs here when we compare to the other teams we defeated. Dave, I don't know yet if um, the official scorers have changed any of the goals this morning, but uh, I'm waiting <laughs> they for gotta something like out. that. They got a workout last <laughs> night. My Changing gosh. Changing the mid-game. Man, I was waiting for Kucherov to have a hat trick when I woke up this morning, but he finished with a couple of goals, and there's a lot to unpack. But, uh, Dave, you know, we, we make so much about other teams' structures, particularly the last two series with the Islanders and now with the Canadians. A lot of talk going into it, and, and rightfully so. I think a lot of people looked at Montreal, the way they defend, the way they play in their own zone, and, and how they forecheck, and they play a system, and they're hard... They're a hard team to play against, but this run that the Tampa Bay Lightning have been on, particularly the last eight games where they've, what, given up a total of 12 goals, is something that's probably not being talked enough about nationally. Locally, we're, we're bringing it up, and it's I think it's something that's really been fascinating to watch, but the Lightning have been just as good defensively as some of these other teams who are known for being really good defensive teams, and it's really playing out here uh, over the last few games. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, all the Canadians to 19 shots and one goal. And I guess coming out of game one, uh, I look at it this way. Here are my initial thoughts the day after. You look at the final score, it's 5-1 Lightning. They held the Canadians to 19 shots, one goal. You might say this was a dominant performance by the Lightning. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Uh, I think the Canadians had some strong moments in game one. And we'll see if these trend lines continue as we move forward in the series. So I, I think what the Canadians did well at points, the Lightning also did well at points. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting when you look at the game this way. I thought both teams were effective, if you want to say, in the forecheck or disrupting plays from the other side at different points in the game. The Canadians were very, very good with their sticks. The Lightning had some problems on initial passes out of their own end. They kept getting deflected by, by Montreal sticks or Canadians would get a skate in the way. Like, they disrupted a fair number of attempted clears by the Lightning, and they did the same in the neutral zone, where the Lightning weren't able to necessarily get it through the neutral zone cleanly and get it in deep. In fact, that's that's kind of what set the stage for the Sherratt goal. I mean, I know he scored it in the offensive zone, but that play started because the Lightning did not get the puck in deep. A Montreal player 
and I think it was Weber because they moved the puck up the ice. Weber blocked a dump in just inside his own blue line and moved it back up the ice. The Canadians had a had a good game in that regard. They didn't do it consistently. It's not like they they did it for a full 60 minutes, but they had their moments where they gave the Lightning some problems in the turnover department. The other thing I was impressed with in watching the Canadians, and again, it's, it is different when you see a team live. I'm not sure that I had noted this as much in, in some of the playoff games I'd watched involving Montreal. I was impressed, again, not the whole game, but there were points where they came out of their own zone through the neutral zone really well. They have, uh, we talk about like the forwards not being too far up. Like they, they come out pretty cleanly a lot of times, especially I was impressed with the Deno line. I thought Deno, Lekkinen, and Gallagher more often than not move the puck up the ice really well. And then they would get it in deep and they would go to work on the forecheck. That might have been the the Canadians' most consistent line in terms of having the puck in the offensive zone and kind of buzzing around. I don't know if that necessarily is the case if you were to actually track possession. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. But a lot of that came from their ability to move the puck up the ice cleanly. But you know what, Greg? The Lightning did the same. I mean, the Lightning also were really good at points on the forecheck. They had some long, sustained offensive zone shifts. And the Lightning, similarly, at points when they weren't turning the puck over, were coming through the neutral zone well. So really what it came down to was the difference in the game to me was the Lightning did it more than the Canadians. The Lightning had more success in the forecheck. The Lightning had more times coming through the neutral zone with possession and getting it into the offensive end than Montreal. And as a result, the Lightning were able to have more possession, more shots, and more scoring chances. And ultimately, they buried more of those scoring chances. But they also had more scoring chances (laughs) because I think that in this kind of tug of war between limiting turnovers and managing the puck and getting it through the neutral zone, the Lightning were better than the Canadians. But that's not to say that the Canadians were bad. <laughs> like, they had some moments where they gave the no. Lightning some problems and on I get some that. shifts. And I get that. And you bring up some good points. I, I just, you know what it is, It just too. wasn't, it wasn't a 5-1 game. It wasn't a game where the Lightning just steamrolled them. No, but, it, it, it never is. But I, I, I hear all the time about, you know, well, the other team pushes in the game, too, and we point out the Lightning when they struggle a little bit defensively. Well, of course they're going to push at some point. We saw in the Islanders series. They're going to have moments. So nobody's saying the Lightning are going to be a suffocating team for 60 minutes. I, I'm just, I wake up this morning, Dave, and uh, for all intents and purposes, the Lightning are leading the playoffs in well, goals allowed. Abso- absolutely. You know and what I'm I mean? Not, and I, I'm not discounting any of that. I just... I came out of that game thinking there were certain things the Montreal Canadiens did well in game one, and I'm curious to see if they can continue it. Now, what they did not do well enough was outplay the Lightning. The Lightning deserved to win the game last night, so maybe I should have just stated that up front. They had more shots. They had more scoring chances. If not for Carey Price, they could have scored more than five goals. But the Canadiens showed at points, I think, and this is oversimplifying it, but why they are in the Stanley Cup final. Like, they, they had their moments where they had the Lightning back in their heels a little bit. But what the Lightning did well in Game 1 for the most part, and this is something that we have talked about a lot in the playoffs, but even going back to the regular season, Greg, when the Lightning don't have the puck, they do bear down defensively. Yes, and, yes. And they, and they limit scoring chances. I'm looking at 
the final game sheet here, the event summary, the Lightning blocked 15 shots at night's end, and the Canadians missed the net on 17 shots, which some of that is they missed the net, but some of that the Lightning are in the shooting lane, right? And they're trying to shoot around guys, well, and they're let's... missing the net. And when the Canadians had chances, because they had some, Vasilevsky slammed the door. It sounds eerily... The Weber breakaway, the Anderson yes. chance. There was a tricky shot from Lekkinen in the first period. Gallagher was involved in front of the net all night long. Cole but Caulfield You might remember was, this one. Yeah. Caulfield had some chances. But remember he the one dangerous. where Lekkinen made a steal in the lightning end and got a shot? And Vasilevsky made the save, but there was nobody for the lightning in front yeah. of the net. It was only Gallagher. Right. And that's... It's not like a grade-A chance for Lekkinen. But it's a tough save for Vasilevsky with no rebound. Because if there's a rebound there, Gallagher is wide open sure. in front. And Gallagher had a... He had made a... some saves like that, Vassy did, where they weren't like tremendous scoring chances. But they were fairly tough saves. And he handled it and, and had good rebound control so that the Canadians couldn't get a second crack at it. Right after the Lightning made it 2 nothing, you saw, I thought, maybe the Canadians' best push in terms of quality scoring chances. And that's when you brought up the Weber... Alone yeah. shot on Vassy. We saw Josh Anderson come down the right side a few minutes after that. Then they scored the goal to make a 2-1 on the double deflection. Nothing you can do about that on Vassy, but that's a good job by the Canadians getting the puck on, winning a faceoff. And then Gallagher, Dave, as you know, with about a minute remaining in the second period, had a partial breakaway. It wasn't a great chance because he was being hounded from behind, but he still got one off, and Gallagher's a guy that can finish at times. Instead of the Canadians maybe coming away from the second period being tied 2-2, or maybe even up 3-2, Dave, with some of those glorious scoring chances they got, they were down 2-1. And then Lightning scored three in the third period. I'm not going to say that was the game, but I felt like that was probably the best bunch of scoring chances in a period of time where the Canadians really, I think, could have made this a very interesting game, and they didn't finish. And a lot of that is the way the Lightning competed. Some of that is on the Canadians for not finishing. But I thought really at the end of that second period, maybe midway through the second, after the Lightning go up 2-0, the Canadians had some looks. And w what do you do with those looks? And Vassy was big. And the Canadians then in the third period, you know, we can talk about that a little later on. We've got Brian Engblom coming up here in a couple of minutes. Uh, the Lightning get a, a nice power play goal late in that game. Yeah, and, and they looked really dangerous in their first power play. I thought which... they sent a little bit of a message on the power play last yeah. night. I don't know how you felt uh, about it collectively. I know well, you if Montreal wants it. to turn this series into a chippy series, and look, I I'm sure that on the Montreal side, they're, they're saying the Lightning were chippy too, and Gallagher got bloodied at the end of the game, and we can talk about that. I, I am not crazy uh, about players getting slammed to the ice when they don't have their helmet on. We talked about that with Tom Wilson and Panarin during the, the regular season. If you remember, we spent some time talking about that, Greg. But the Canadians can proceed at their own peril if they want to try and push the envelope physically and, and maybe leave it to the officials as to whether or not they're going to call penalties because the Lightning did look really dangerous on the power play in game one I want to make one other point before we get to Brian because I think this is a really important one like you talked about the Canadians had their looks they could have been maybe up three to two after two the Lightning had more chances though than the Canadians I mean you think about the chances the Lightning had Stamkos Price robs him with a glove save Tyler Johnson gets alone in front backhand shot Price makes a glove uh, pad save the chances the Lightning had on that power play 
late first, early second. Braden points wide open in the slot and misses the net. How many times does that happen? Kucherov misses an open net at the end of the first period on the power play. Like, the Lightning had some really close calls. Now, Sherrod hit the post early in the second as well. So that was a close call for the Canadians. But I think if we're going to kind of tally up the almost <laughs> chances that didn't sure. go in, like, I still give an advantage to the Lightning. So that's that's one point I wanted to make. And the other is the Lightning scored their first three goals on plays that started with good defensive plays back either in their own end or in the neutral zone. On the first goal, it's Braden Point back-checking, stealing a pass from mm-hmm. Caulfield to Petrie and the Lightning counter and get the goal from Chernak off the rush. On the second goal, the Canadians have the puck just inside the Lightning blue line and the Lightning force a turnover, and they counter. That was, I mean, in all three of these goals, actually, the Canadians are, are back defensively. I mean, it's not like the turnover meant that the Lightning got a two-on-one, but the play started with a Lightning play defensively to turn the puck over, and then they end up scoring on the rush. And that's the goal that Gord was credited with when Coleman shot it and and Gord got positioned in front and and deflected it in. And then the third goal, the one that every time I watch it, I don't know how Palat doesn't get credit for this goal because to me it looks like he gets his stick on the puck. But the play begins with Sergachev stepping up in the neutral zone, intercepting a pass, mm-hmm. and feeding Kucherov. And, yeah, did the Lightning get a bounce on that? They did. But they got rewarded for getting a puck to the net on a play that started with a good defensive play Yep, in the neutral zone. So, you know, we could talk about the Lightning had some some turnovers, which they did. You know, they gave up a breakaway to Weber, this, that, and the other thing. Like the Lightning, and I guess I'm circling back to what you said, the Lightning defended well, not only when you look at the final stat line, one goal against, 19 shots against, but also some of their offense came directly from their ability to defend. Like, they they use their good defense to transition and score off the rush. Yeah, and, and goals I, that way. I think you bring up a good point. I, I think the, the main point I, I am trying to make, too, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head right there, is that defensively, we know when the Lightning are running around for the whole game or really having problems defensively, and we point those out. You know, maybe a little bit more in the, the first two series than what we've seen the last two. Maybe that has something to do with the talent of the opponent offensively. I'm just trying to point out, I haven't gotten that feeling really the last few games. That the other team, Dave, I, I going into a game, they're going to make a push. The, the, the Canadians... They're going to have some moments where Shea Weber maybe has a breakaway. Or, Which, uh, by know, the way, we had that question yesterday, or the defense on the Canadian yeah. mobile. And I said, not really. And that was a weird Weber. one. Yeah, that was that a weird play. His, I don't know if that's his only breakaway yeah. of the year, but it might have been. And and, been. and look, he's a guy that, that can score some goals from the back end, maybe not necessarily on a breakaway. But what I'm saying is the, the Canadians, and it's any team, is going to have a push. It just, I, I think sometimes... We look at the Lightning when they're really having some breakdowns. It plagues them throughout the whole game. I haven't seen that. And I, I've seen a team like the the Islanders or the Canadians at moments push back because, Dave, they're really good teams. They're going to do that. Tampa Bay is not going to be perfect defensively every single play up the ice. But I think for the most part, what's been impressive, not only Vasilevsky stopping the shots he's he stopped, 
when the Lightning do make a turnover, they're competing hard to get back. Yes. They're blocking shots. They're getting sticks on pucks. And that should be part of the conversation about how good Tampa Bay is defensively. Yes, there are breakdowns. There are turnovers. What do you do with those turnovers? Not only offensively, but defensively. And I feel like so far, the last handful of games, the Lightning have done a really good job of covering up for some of those mistakes and competing really hard in their own end to make those gaffes not bite them in the you-know-what. And I think that's been kind of impressive. I'm curious what Brian Engblom has to say about this, in addition to what he saw uh, from the Canadians. So that's coming up next. We'll get to uh, the NHL yesterday also, too, announcing the Lightning playing in an outdoor game, which is going to be a lot of fun. And that's going to be the stadium series against the Preds uh, next year. So we'll talk about that maybe at the end of the show. But we want to talk to Brian about game one against the Canadians. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Join us inside Emily Arena during each of our road playoff games for the official Tampa Bay Lightning Watch Party presented by Bud Light. Enjoy live entertainment, appearances from Thunderbug, giveaways, concession specials, and more. Tickets are just $10 with a portion of the proceeds benefiting Lightning Foundation charities. Pods of one to six people are available and doors open 75 minutes before scheduled puck drop. For more details and to purchase your tickets, go to tampabaylightning.com slash playoff parties. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us. Power Lunch rolls along. Greg Linnelli with you along with Dave Michigan, Steve Ersnick producing. Good win for the Lightning last night. Game one of the Stanley Cup final over the Canadians 5-1. to one. Here to talk about it a bit more. Lightning broadcaster, former NHLer, our good friend Brian Engblom. Brian, great to be with you again. And as we talked about to start the show, uh, it's going to be a long series. The Canadians, they're going to make their pushes, but a lot better to be up 1-0 than 0-1 to start this series, right? Yeah, there was uh, there was really no pressure on Montreal coming into that game last night, uh, not from what I saw. Nobody expected them to be in the Stanley Cup Finals, and they get to start on the road. It's perfect for them. Um, but yet the Lightning handled them pretty much the entire game. Uh, I, I was really impressed with how the Lightning started the game and went right through to the very end. They executed in uh, a really strong, dynamic way, uh, very similar to Game 7 against the Islanders. I thought they managed the puck just simply outstanding. I got the feeling that Montreal was absolutely stunned by the pace of the game and how well the Lightning managed the puck and moved the puck, uh, that they Montreal lost a big part of their game, and that, that the vaunted penalty kill, I thought, was actually, I thought their jaws kind of dropped to the ice. Even the first one, at the end of the first period, they snapped the puck around a couple of times, and I saw four guys out there who were just moving their heads and going, okay, what's coming next here? And then... They almost scored at the beginning of the second, right? Because it was an overlap penalty. And then yeah. Pointer had that chance, point blank, that we've seen him score so many times. He missed by about two inches on the far side. And I thought, oh, those guys, the hair on the back of their neck was standing up. I, that's the feeling I got from that first lightning power play. And then, of course, they finally cash in with Stammer scoring from the bottom of the circle, not from the top of the circle. 
and that was pretty much it. So I think Montreal goes back to the drawing board today and goes, okay, yeah, uh-huh. We haven't seen these guys in over a year, and uh, we got some adjusting to do here. I'm just wondering, Brian, like the Lightning's power play has been rolling through the playoffs, and we know how good they are when you when you look at the five players they put out for that first unit. <clears throat> But confidence seems to be a big part of it, too. And I'm wondering, like, Montreal just came out of a series against Vegas, which was at the other end of the spectrum. I mean, Vegas has good players, too, but their power play had been struggling throughout the playoffs. And Vegas looked like it. Vegas looked like a team that had no confidence in its power play, and that really helped the Montreal penalty kill. How much does confidence, which is kind of a hard thing to quantify, matter particularly when you're talking about special teams, power play, or penalty kill. It, it matters a lot, Dave. Um, yeah, and the Vegas series with Montreal was a prime example. I watched a lot of that, and they had zero. They had some skilled guys. I, I don't know what was happening to them. I, I think I can't help but think that Carey Price got in their head a little bit. I mean, Jonathan Marcheseau must have missed the net nine times, if not 19. High, wide, high, wide, high, wide. Um, Alex Tuck, same thing. Consistent guys that when they finally did get scoring chances and they didn't get very many, high wide missed. I, I chalked that up to Carey Price and intimidation. And that's a really frustrating thing. It's how you move the puck around, how you get entries into the zone. As we know, it's the toughest part of every power play. I, I've always felt that getting it in and getting it set up. And then once you start, at least you have a chance. You start your sequencing, and it goes from there. And the Lightning are still the best in the business, in, in my mind, in that respect. And I think Jeff Halpern just does a heck of a job with them because you watch them in morning skates and in practices just like I do, and they work on different ways to bring the puck up the ice. It's not just one. It's not even just two. But they have two or three at least. And they're play calling and they're using different ones. And Victor Hedman spearheads it and then drops it. And, you know, we see how it happens. So they, they get it in the zone. Then once they get it there, when 86 is in the lineup, everything changes. And again, Montreal didn't have a feel for him, just like Florida didn't have a feel for him. Florida knew Montreal, excuse me, Florida knew the Lightning's power play. But they didn't know it with, with Cooch in the lineup. And he destroyed them in the first two games. I mean, destroyed them. And they made adjustments. And it was tougher after that. But good on Florida. And that's the way it should be. That's the brilliance. The beauty of, of playoff hockey is you have to make adjustments. The Lightning's power play was in really good sequence. They got in the zone. It wasn't that difficult. And the vaunted pressure that we've heard about, the Lightning were pretty prepared. To, you know, there was, uh, the Islanders were no slouches, and Carolina was super aggressive on their penalty kill. So they've already had experience with really good penalty kills. So I don't think they were intimidated at all. They watched some tape. They knew what to do, and they know how they like to move the puck around, and they were confident. And if you get off to a good start, that's uh, just flow-wise – and all it takes is that one chance that I talked about. They knew Braden Point almost scored, and Braden's going, ah, oh, I, I had it. He had that far post, and he missed it. But that really set the table for them, and they went on from there. That's how I saw it. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brian, speaking of Kucherov and Point, it feels like those guys can fall out of bed and get to points. I know the Canadians <laughs> have some good players leading up to the series. They've gone against them. 
but they haven't seen anything like this. From what you saw in Game 1, do you think the Canadians have the horses to slow that first line down? Yeah, there are systems, and they have speed, and that's what you need. You need speed and checking in order to do it. Um, you can do it with size, but these guys aren't intimidated by getting hit or anything. You have to have positioning and speed of defense. You have to have movement. It's about not what's happening at the puck. It's the other four guys. That's where I thought the Islanders were really good. I mean, Carolina was as well. I think Florida had an issue with it. You ha Even five on five on the, on the point line, you have to – you have to trust that whoever your your teammate is, and he's going at Kucherov with the puck, it's the other four guys that are going to kill you with Kuch. The other four, because he likes to pass first, right? So you have to pay attention. You have to be in the zip code of whoever your man is. You got to identify who your man is, and you got to be close to him because otherwise you're just you're you're just reacting, and they'll that line will kill you, tear you apart. You think. Cooch has got it, and he gives it the point. Okay, let's all go to point. Then it goes to Palat. We'll all go there. Then it goes back to head. So you're chasing, chasing, chasing. They they will dismantle you, and they have done that before. They welcome that. If you wanna if you wanna play a pressure game and you're late and you're reacting, good luck with that. They're gonna get three on you most nights if they get enough chances. Uh, so they'll make some adjustments. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They'll try some different things. They'll probably try to pressure. Uh, heady coming up the ice the way the Islanders did they they went deeper than anybody almost uh, that I've seen so far Carolina did it at times trying to dismantle it up the ice on the rush well they have an answer for that too they they look at it so what I mean that's why I love Jeff Halpern gives them a playbook it's not just one this is how we do it we have a playbook and if play one is not working then play four probably will and uh, that's how they have so much effectiveness in my mind. Then once they get in the zone, I think Cooch controls a lot of what they talk about. Um, and they know the sequencing and they know the talents. And Victor is outstanding up at the top of giving the guy, the guy who's open, the time and space to make the next play. Brian, I, I got to say that there were parts of Montreal's game last night that impressed me. Uh, in particular, I liked the way D the Dano line moved the puck out of their own end. I felt like that line, maybe more than the others from Montreal, was really effective at, at coming out through the neutral zone and getting it in. But what Montreal had great success doing against Vegas was getting guys – open in transition for breakaways or kind of partial breakaways and there would yeah. be a rebound and other than the Weber chance of all guys Weber gets the breakaway <laughs> we didn't see a lot of that last night what were the Lightning doing well to not let the Canadians use that that quick transition that has served them so well to this point in the playoffs uh, well, paying attention away from the puck, and it's the defenseman's responsibility ultimately on a on a transition. They have to gap up. You have to get out of your zone quickly because if you get caught slow coming out of your zone and the other team has a turnover, they're coming at you, you have to back up because now they've got speed to even increase their speed. Now you're backing up. Now you've given the zone away really easy, and once you give the zone away, now you're in trouble and everybody's in scramble mode. And, and uh, it, it makes it difficult. I thought the lightning gaps were outstanding. I thought Sergachev had a hell of a game, and a lot of it was in the neutral zone, super aggressive. He and Savard, I thought, were really good. McDonough continues to do a terrific job all playoff long. The lightning, it, this is not new to them. 
Carolina had a terrific transition game. Florida played, you know, gas pedal hockey. I mean, they had stretch passes in. As soon as somebody touched the puck in their own zone, they had two guys fly in the zone. Remind me of Wayne Gretzky in the 80s. That's the way they play. So it's not like the Lightning haven't seen it before. They're ready for it. And that's why there's been criticism of the Lightning's D. Like, well, they only had three goals, you know, coming into this series. Well, now they have four because they picked their spots and a great goal by Chernak. But they've stayed back. Victor Hedman has stayed back. Everybody thinks it's because of his injury. Maybe a little bit. But I watch him in practice, and he looks just fine, by the way. And I'm not saying he doesn't have something that won't have to be fixed. But it's obviously not enough to limit him that much. I think it's strategy because they did not want to get burned against Florida. They did not want to get burned against uh, Carolina. And, uh, you know, the Islanders, that game, that series went the way it went. So they, they stay back, they pay attention, and they don't give up the neutral zone really well. I think that Montreal really had trouble coming out of their zone. They didn't get the puck deep often enough. The Lightning, I thought, managed the puck just simply outstanding on regroups. Shea Weber and Petrie did not get to stand in in the offensive zone. I know Weber had five shots, but um, otherwise, I think they had three other guys with zero, including Petrie. That is an outstanding night for the Lightning. You don't want those guys hanging in there. And they weren't able to because as soon as the Lightning got the puck, they had they had forwards fly in the zone. I felt like the Montreal defense spent more time going backwards than they ever did going forwards. And that leads to some great success. I thought the Lightning got out of their zone and through the neutral zone, maybe the easiest of the entire playoffs. And that's saying a lot. So Montreal is going to definitely have to make some big adjustments. And, and one thing I do want to add, I don't know where, where we are time-wise, guys. One thing I don't want to overlook. We got all day. Thought, we got all day. Right? <laughs> I, 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 thought, I thought Coop did an outstanding job of line matching, but especially in one way, because I thought Josh Anderson was their most dangerous player in a lot of ways because he came out nasty. I mean, he played a nasty game. He was running at guys right from the very start. He was barking at the bench. You, you, you guys probably saw that too, right? And then who got back in his face? And who did Coop send out, I don't know, halfway through the game, whatever, at a face-off? Number 14, Pat Maroon. And he barking at Anderson, nose-to-nose, literally. And you can only imagine, but he's going, hey, kid, shut up. Shut up, or I'm going to fill your face in. You know, that's basically the message there. And so Josh Anderson was not the same at the end of the game as he was at the beginning of the game. And he's a heck of a player, and I thought he had the right thing. But in my mind, Josh Anderson still thinks that the Lightning are the Lightning from two years ago when Columbus beat them four straight and at times ran through right to Vasilevsky and, you know, and, and got Vasi off his game and played tough in front of the offensive net and in the corners and all the turnovers and, and, and. He thought this is the Lightning team from two years ago. Coop sent out Maroon and went, hey, Buddy, shut up. And that is one of the biggest differences in the Lightning from two years ago, right? We have Coleman and Goodrow, yes. We have Pat Maroon. Pat Maroon has been an unsung hero throughout these playoffs. He certainly was in the Islander series for the reasons that I'm talking about here. And it's already started because Pat goes out and goes, "Mm mm-mm. He played about 11 minutes last night. That's probably about two minutes more than he averages. He has worked his tail off in morning skates and practices. He's been out extra 15 to 20 minutes in every morning skate after practice is over. 
with Jeff Alpert going around and around behind the net, in front of the net, coming out and shooting. Those ones, those quick, small space deals where it tears your legs out. In other words, they went to Pat and went, Pat, we need you here. You got to pick it up because they know they're playing against teams that are quicker and quicker. And that's his downfall, right? Is he doesn't have the quickness and he gets a little pudgy. <laughs> so he's been working <laughs> his tail off and he is quicker. And so he can play. Yeah. So he played a lot more last night, just under 12 minutes. That's a big night for him. And when he was used and how he was used, I don't care about the number of hits he has. It's what he says and his presence there. And when he goes by their bench and when he gets in Anderson's ear and goes, shut up, that makes a difference. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. That was the next question I had jotted down to ask you. Phil brought it up to Dave, as you know, in the broadcast. We're here with Brian Engblom, that it felt like later in the game, Josh Anderson was not as noticeable. And I was going to ask you, Pat Maroon engages him, his willingness to go at a player and say, knock it off. Now, do you think some of that, too, Brian, is the fact that Montreal really hasn't seen this Lightning team like the Panthers, the Hurricanes, and even the Islanders from last year, and that maybe it will take them a game or two to realize, wait a minute, all right, yeah, we, we can't really run these guys because if, if we do, you've got Maroon, Goodrow, Gord, and all of these other guys that are willing to, to push back. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why this first game was going to be so interesting to me because, yes, they haven't played each other since early March of a year ago. That's a long time. And there are a lot of different faces, including Anderson, on the Montreal team. So what they talked about and what they think they saw, and I think there's a lot of misinformation around the league in general and that the Lightning still have the reputation of a goal-scoring team, just a goal-scoring team and a playmaking team. I think that people did not watch the entire league as much as they normally do. And I'll say that because I know I didn't. Because of the compressed schedule, we're focusing on our, our you know, the east side for sure, but certainly our division because that's what was important. Can I tell you a lot of the games that I saw of Montreal? Hell no, I can't. And I'm sure that the players, it's the same way. But around the league, you listen to radio shows uh, uh, around the league and People just think the Lightning are still that fancy team, and they're a little bit shocked. I think some people even missed it last year, the way they won the Stanley Cup. We don't see the big difference because we saw it then and we see it now. But this Lightning team has a nasty edge to it, a nasty edge. They started it against Carolina because it was a little too cute. That's what I felt after the first two games. They were almost bored by the, by the chess match. You know, so they started punching people in the head after the whistle. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that in this series, too, because of the guys like Anderson and Gallagher. Gallagher, for sure, always. And you saw some of that. And in Montreal, are going to do it. And they've been famous for their top four guys of, you know, thumping their chest and saying, we don't let anybody in front of Carey Price. Well, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think we've got... We've got seven or eight guys at least who have no problem hanging around there. And if you want to punch Yanni Gordon in the head, you're going to get two coming back in a lot quicker fashion. So we're going to see a lot of penalties, and a lot of them are going to emanate from stuff around the front of the net. I think that will escalate. And who's going to take advantage of the power plays will be a big factor going in. Well, do you think that if the Lightning can continue <clears throat> to either have success or just look dangerous on the power play, could that have an effect on how 
frisky Montreal wants to be. Well, there, or that's not no going to change it. Like that's scoring a lot of goals, Dave. Yeah, they're, okay. they're going to have to. They're going to have to back off, um, and they won't be able to do that as often. You'll certainly have to pick your spots. But if you're smart, and this is what playoff hockey is about, you know who you're who you're out against. And if that kind of stuff does start, then you punch somebody in the head that's valuable, who's maybe having a great game, like Yanni Gord. Right? Yanni's been really, really terrific uh, the last four or five games in particular. And so if he, he gets feisty, right, and he's the example I just used, and you saw him, he got punched in the head last night by Edmondson, and he punched him right back. So if I'm Edmondson, I go, Yanni Gord's one of their best players. Yeah, I'll keep this going. I'll take him off for two minutes or maybe five or maybe seven. Absolutely. So then you still do it, but you don't do it against other guys. Um, and, you know, like Ross Colton or somebody, no disrespect to him, but you understand what I'm talking about. You pick your spots, you pick your guys, and you be intelligent about who you're going to try to intimidate or who you're going to, in plain and simple, take off the ice. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brian, at least for me, like the Islanders, this Canadians team has a, a similar feel to it. The Islanders had chances in the seven-game series. I felt like overall, collectively, they just had a bigger issue finishing consistently. The Canadians, at least in game one, Dave and I talked about this in segment one, had some chances but didn't finish. Is this where the Lightning have maybe the biggest advantage going against these teams like the Islanders and Canadians that they have structure, they have discipline, but more times than not, the Lightning just have better finishers than these these previous two teams here? Oh yeah, I think I think that's true. You just look on paper and you see the the stat totals, and um, the Lightning do have guys, and they have they have a lot of big moment guys too. That's the term I usually use. Look at Anthony Sorelli, you know, in his history, being a Memorial Cup champion when he was just a kid, and we've already seen. Look what he did to the Islanders last year in overtime. Big moment guys that you know the moment's not too big for them. They seize it. They want to be the guy that makes the difference. Um, so. I mean, you already know about Cooch and, and Pointer and Stammer. Those guys are sort of, you know, givens. Victor Hedman, those guys would be givens. Uh, but you have a lot of other guys that can make big plays. Look at look at McDonough in the key situation, that spin-around move that, yes, did not end up in the back of the net. But big moment, guys. He's 7-2 and two in Game 7s. That tells you something, right, about McDonough. Alex Kalorin, whom I think has been one of the top three players, maybe overall for the Lightning, all, all playoffs. Um, just been terrific in my mind. All-around game. Um, has become a big moment guy, too, in, in his ways, defensively or offense. And, and like Yanni Gork, Yanni loves it. Loves it when he gets his ice time and he knows he's in the zone, especially when he scores early in a game. So I think they have more weapons that they can go to that are dangerous than Montreal. But that gives you an edge. But the, the saying is true. It's not the best team always that wins. It's the team that's playing the best. And Montreal has proven that fact to a T. And they've played the best more often than their opposition. So you know they're going to make some adjustments from here on in now that they've got a taste after what happened to them in game one. And I think a lot happened to them. Yes, they had some chances, but I think more happened to them than what they were able to generate and make it happen to the Lightning. 
Brian, last one for me. You have talked about the, the Lightning's willingness to defend and not only play tough, but also just dig in and defend. And you look at the first three goals the Lightning scored, all off the rush, all plays that led to goals, but all three plays started with somebody making a defensive play, either in the yeah. defensive zone for the Lightning or in the neutral zone. Point on the first goal, Ruda disrupts a, a pass from Montreal on the second goal, and Sergachev steps up in the neutral zone on the third goal. How important is that? Like, we often hear, like, defense leads to offense, but how important is it to have to have your offense stem from good defensive play? It's critical. It's the only way you win. That was the last piece of the puzzle that the team from two and three years ago didn't quite understand. They, they thought there's so much talk about the puck and puck management in today's game. I think that the team... The core guys that have been together, you know, the Kucherovs, the Kalorans, the Point, Stammer, uh, Pointer, all those guys. I think that they were victims of the vocabulary of the game um, and had to make adjustments. Yes, it's about puck management, but it was always the puck, the puck, the puck, the puck. I got sick and tired. Dave, you know, sometimes I'd be banging my head against the wall <laughs> yes. a couple of years ago saying to you, I, come on, get over this. Yeah, it's not just about the puck. You have to be able to play defense. It matters. You are without the puck 20 times more, even more than that, than you, than you do have the puck. It matters what you're doing when you don't have it. I mean, as an individual. So what are you doing? What are you paying attention to? Are you just trying to hunt the puck down and then do something with it? You're going to lose. You're a loser, I can tell you right now. Because if you are not responsible and identify that's my guy, and he's 30 feet from me. I better get closer to him before he gets the puck, not try to chase him down after. That kind of stuff. That was the last piece of the puzzle for the core group of players who were all keyed into making plays, making plays, get the puck, let's make plays. Oh, it got turned over again. Darn it, let's get it. Frustration sets in. And again, probably the epitome was the Columbus series a couple of years ago um, and just hadn't quite gotten it yet. But Coop got the message across. It's not what you put in, it's what you keep out. And that key phrase, I think, it was it was the Kucherovs, it was the Johnsons, it was the Kalorans and Palats and Points. Those were the guys because they're the leaders. They were the last to sort of kick in. And I would say Cooch being the first because you know how much he loves to make plays and that's the way he sees the game. But he bought in last year. He bought in. And when your big guy buys in and makes those little plays, then everybody else is, is falls right in line. And that, to me, was the biggest difference. Brian, last question on my end as well. I, I thought Caulfield was dangerous early but not late. To Foley, I thought was relatively quiet. Caulfield seems like the one guy who can be a game-breaker for them. What did the Lightning do to him later in the game compared to maybe earlier to slow him down? And if he can't get going... What else has to happen for the Canadians if they want to get a few past Vassy? Um, yeah, I, I watch Caulfield quite a bit. Uh, fascinating to watch him come right out of college, right? And he's so small. What is he, 5'7", about 160? But he can fly. I mean, he's got great quickness and an unreal release. I mean, the goals he scored against uh, Vegas, he's full of himself. And, and good for him. And that's created a lot of energy and a ton of juice offensively 
for for Montreal for a team that really needed it. They've got grinders, they've got experience, they've got they've got guys like you know like Anderson. We were talking a lot about okay, he can score some goals up and down the lineup. Philip Deneau is a you know a defensive player. Paul Byron's a speedy guy. He's not going to fill the net. Corey Perry's older. He's got to get to the crease in order to score. Um, Stahl, who's a great two-way player but doesn't have a lot of touch anymore. This kid comes in and gives him some great juice, and he's got a knack for getting open. Yeah, he's he's a goal scorer. There's no doubt. I saw where um, he's got he's scored 43 goals this year, including college all the way through the American League, playing ending the year with Montreal, and now in the playoffs. 43 goals. I don't care where you played. 43 goals is a lot. He came through that U.S. Development League um, before he went to the University of Wisconsin. He had 100 points in 64 games, 72 goals, 72 goals. And that's a good league. They play against college, the international games, everything. This kid is a goal scorer. He's got that it thing. I talked to Tony Granato. I shouldn't say talked. I texted with him and asked him that specifically. Does he have that it thing? He goes, yes, he does. It won't bother him where he plays. And he has the advantage of having no bad experiences, maybe until last night being minus three and yeah. getting a little bit of a lesson of what it's like to play against a team who has great puck management and he has defensive responsibilities. Will those defensive responsibilities take him over a little bit and take him out of some of his offensive game? I think that there's always a balance there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like guys like Braden Point had to learn. Um, and we'll see what it does to Caulfield. But boy, is he a great talent and shooter. Brian, this was great. As always, we enjoy the analysis. Let's do it again next week as we'll be right in the thick of things here in this playoff series. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Thanks, Brian. That's Brian Engblom, Lightning broadcaster, former NHLer. Always great to catch up with Brian. We've got some questions starting to come in. We're going to take a break. We're going to get to those when we return. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli, Steve Ersink, producing back after this on Lightning Power Play. Hey, it's Seth Kushner from The Block Party, and this week we went deep in the playoff archives and pulled out 2011 playoff hero Dwayne Roly Rollison. Roly comes on the podcast. He just moved back to Tampa. We talk about his kids playing hockey now. He talks about a special drill he started doing with Stamkos when he first got to town and how he would chirp Victor Hedman almost every single day in practice. That's The Block Party with Seth Kushner featuring Dwayne Rollison out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. You know, just recapping, Dave, a bit with what Brian said about uh, Caulfield. He was dangerous early on, wasn't he? he yeah, he missed the very net. Very good looks. He missed yeah. the net from the high slot early in the game. Early in the second period, he had a shot on net where he scooted down the wing on his on his left side. He's yeah. a right winger, but he was yep. on the other side of the ice. Vasilevsky made a good save. I'll say this. Brian and I then saw the game a little differently because I did not feel that the Lightning managed the puck better than they had in any game to this point in the playoffs. But I think we were in agreement that the Lightning did not give up many scoring chances. <laughs> and like that much we are in sure. agreement on. But but I, I'm going to stick to my guns. And, and based on what I saw last night, I think the Lightning could be better at coming out of their own zone more cleanly. And, you know, the other team has something to do with that. The Canadians did well. They weren't, like, finishing checks and dislodging pucks. It was more that 
they kind of had a sense of where the puck was going sometimes. Their anticipation and they got in the way was of great. It. Their anticipation. It was almost yeah. like their their film study after Thursday when they took care of Vegas that they, they did a really good job of maybe figuring out what some tendencies were of the Lightning and anticipating getting sticks on puck. Because I agree with you. It felt like they kind of knew where the Lightning were going early on and then... You know, maybe not so much later. But it wasn't a full 60 either. No, it wasn't. So, it wasn't. And then the Lightning gave as good as they got, too. <laughs> like, the Lightning forced some turnovers, for sure. Both the ones that we talked about that led to the first three goals. But also, in the offensive zone, the Lightning forced turnovers. And, and if you're going to count the number of shifts where one team had the other team pinned back for a long sequence, the Lightning had a big advantage in there, that regard, you know, too. Dave, the, the lighting I just feel like have been so determined and hard on pucks recently. And I, I think you can make that case throughout these playoffs, but it feels like, and maybe it's the teams they're playing right now, the Islanders and game one against the Canadians, just the, the style that they're playing. But I feel like you mentioned Sorelli, like the third line, that's what they do. They're they're just engaged, you know, playing with this yeah. edge and tenacity. And I, I don't know, I don't know that I've ever seen Yanni Gord play better hockey than what uh, we're seeing from him he is playing out of his playoffs. mind which is great to see you and know, he's played a lot of good hockey with the lightning <laughs> i mean dave one technical question i, I want to ask you I, I should have asked brian this and look coaches have a way of maneuvering players to get away from matchups but we know caulfield is the right winger who typically come down the right side and he's got a bomb but where's the tampa bay tampa bay's defense where's that strength of theirs on the left side yeah. And I'm wondering if that's just going to be an interesting matchup. He's 5'7". You've got some bigger defensemen who play on the left side. I'm curious to see maybe the biggest adjustments are going to happen from game one to game two. Do they move Caulfield around, Dave, within reason, maybe to get away from that left side a little bit? Because you mentioned the one shot he did have was yeah. on the opposite wing, and that might have been more of a broken play. But I'm curious. I, I just well, I, I want to see if that happens. Well, you may be right. The thing to keep in mind, if if – they decide to keep that line intact, and it's been a good line for them in the playoffs. Suzuki, Caulfield, and Toffoli, they're all righties. Yeah. So someone's playing his off wing. Good point. And it's Toffoli now. And I confess, like, Toffoli has been in the West all these years, yeah. so I can't remember if he normally plays the left side. But they could swap them, I guess. But Toffoli can shoot the puck, too. No, he can. I mean, he can. No, he. I mean, look, he had a great regular season I'm just I'm thinking of the guy that stood out the most yesterday early on was Caulfield yes he seems to be the guy that can be a little bit more of a game breaker because of his speed and I'm wondering will they try and find places to get him away from the left side of Tampa Bay's defense because most teams will tell you Dave when they look at Tampa Bay's back end probably an underrated part of, of the Lightning team is how good they are back there and you mentioned Sergachev how good he is and then you have yeah. Edmund and McDonough. I'm just curious. I I'm so not So you're saying it's thinking you're thinking about the offensive zone. The hard part for a guy playing his off wing as a forward is more in the defensive zone. For sure. How are you picking up the pucks off the boards when it's rimmed around and that may be that may be part of the decision too. That a veteran like Toffoli, particularly if he's used to playing the left wing, just and again, I'm, I'm speaking from ignorance <laughs> yeah. right now. I don't know if if that's where he normally is played during his NHL career. 
because all those years with the Kings, right. I mean, the Lightning didn't see the Kings that much, For sure. so I don't remember. But even if he plays normally on the right side and on this configuration he's on the left side, he at least has a lot more experience on how to handle playing in the defensive zone on your offside, which can be tricky. And you're talking about still a guy who is – He's very got what, you know, 20 games or so Handful of games, Handful you know, of games. at the NHL level between the regular season and the playoffs. So I'm going to keep my we'll eye on it, though, and see if that's something. Maybe that, if they're moving it up, up the ice, they do a crisscross. I know we have some questions, Greg. I do want to yeah, get into the get post whistle stuff, which we saw a lot of that last night. And, and Brian said that maybe both teams want to get involved in it. I just saw way too many helmets getting pulled off in these scrums last night on both sides. And look, thank goodness Brendan Gallagher is okay. I mean, I saw that he was on the bench. That could have been ugly. At the I end mean, of it the was game. Ugly. Yeah. And like the league has taken such great pains to ensure that if a player loses his helmet while the game action is going on, he needs to get off the ice or put his helmet back on. And, and we just saw way too many scrums where guys were getting their helmets yanked off and then they're engaged. And, I mean, like, I don't really know what the officials could have done once Sergachev and Gallagher are tied up. And that was potentially a very dangerous situation. I think Gallagher managed to, to angle himself as he was yeah. going down, so maybe his shoulder pad took the brunt of the contact. But he was definitely cut. And if he had his helmet on, I mean, his helmet would have hit the ice. But I don't know that he would have, he would have been cut that way. Dave, the, the so I'm just bringing this up. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, but it wasn't just Gallagher. No. Like Goodrow has hit, had his helmet pulled off. Blake Coleman had his helmet pulled off. Yanni Gord had his helmet pulled off. Gallagher had his helmet pulled off. Well, how about the sticks to the face? Again, we saw it last night. And then how about Weber using a stick to slash Kucherov right in front of the officials, using it as a weapon? Dave, it's a token gesture with this rule about the helmet coming off. You have to go to your bench. You need to start cracking down on these vicious cross-checks. And Phil hates the after the, the post-scrums and after the whistle. Yeah. And I, I get that, too, because I think that's where the most danger comes in because guys are coming in with speed with their sticks crack down on the cross checking please i understand you want to protect the guys helmets and heads and and that's fine that's a dumb rule i think to begin with because i mean we've been playing hockey for 50 some years a guy loses his helmet if he's in the offensive zone and has the puck he's got to go back to the bench that's a dumb rule but it happened want, to ben Sherratt, it did. and i don't I didn't, I didn't see exactly what happened but he is in the far corner of the defensive zone opposite the red line and opposite from his bench like yep. he had to go all the way diagonally with the lightning in possession I mean, of the puck it's just not he didn't practical. even have the puck see that's not hockey because anybody would play without a helmet in that particular position so i yeah. I, I think it's it's a token gesture but if we really want to crack down on some of these things that that go on kucherov gets a a cross check to the face yesterday he also gets slashed in the back of the leg. Like, yeah, now was that Weber or it was I Weber. know Sherrod did the one in the Sherrod first did the period. face, and I think it was Weber who got him on the on And they the ended leg. up calling a penalty on Montreal shortly thereafter. Yes. That led to the five on three, but, but they just missed start calling, that one. Call what's obvious. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Call what's obvious. And I, I look, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I mean, I, I think the league needs to start stepping in, particularly with some of these star players we've seen take advantage of. 
uh, with the lightning. But, you know, that's that's just us. Uh, At Bolts Radio, Bust the Beak. Love that name. He goes, I love Esposito, but shouldn't Churn Attack get three, get a three stars? <laughs> I love that. He mentioned, he mentioned Chernak. Churn Attack. <laughs> he liked um, Chernak's game. He really liked Sergachev's game, though. Two night. young defensemen back there, just with McDonough and Hedman. Roots is playing. I mean, it's just just really coming together on them. And Savard's playing well. He's gotten better, Dave, uh, you know, as these playoffs have gone on. And, and that's really what Julian Breezewall wanted to see and what the Lightning were hoping for when they acquired him. Champa Bay Chris says, I know it was late in the game that was basically already decided, but do you think getting a power play goal against the PK that's been lights out all playoffs sets the tone for the rest of the series? Personally, I think that's why Coop still had the heavy hitters out there. Yeah, I agree with that. And they had a five on three, and they had the heavy hitters out there as well. But Brian is right. It's not just that they scored, which it's nice to get rewarded. It's that they were super dangerous. Yes. Because the Canadians know that they got through that first penalty kill, not because they killed the penalty well. It's because the Lightning missed the net. Um, and I don't a know. A couple of chances. I don't know that how normally you would be in the net. Let's be honest. Right. I, Dave, I don't know how you defend Tampa Bay's power play with Kucherov out there because we have seen teams try to press them and all the Lightning do is get the puck out quickly. I, I think, honestly, if you're the Canadians and this is where discipline comes in and this is where they start running around, the officiating can help out the Lightning in a big, big way. They've just got to stay out of the penalty box. That is way easier said than done. I understand that. But some of that is self-inflicted with them running around and trying to be physical. They may have to tinker their game a little bit if they don't want to contend with Tampa Bay's power play because I didn't see any signs, at least in game one, that they could slow them down. And quite honestly, I don't know what adjustments they can make outside of not taking that many penalties the rest of the series that would allow them to keep Tampa Bay off the score sheet when it comes to the power play. Well, a couple of things to, to say about that. First of all, unlike the Islanders, who were one of the least penalized teams all year, both regular season and playoffs, in terms of number of times shorthanded, the Canadians are, are up there. I think actually the Lightning may lead the playoffs in most times shorthanded, although they've cut down that number after the, the first couple of series. But the Canadians are right up there too. Now look, these teams have played the most games, so you're gonna you're gonna have more kill situations. But the Canadians have taken more penalties than the Islanders. And up until game one last night, I don't know that the the penalty kill cost them the game. I mean, the game was basically over at the time that they allowed the power play goal, but certainly their penalty kill has been a big part of their success to this point in the postseason. And they've been able to do it even though they've taken probably on the higher end of what is comfortable <laughs> mm-hmm. to to be shorthanded. So that's one. So we'll see if that continues or if the Canadians can get down to to like one time short a game or, or two times. I mean, they were at three, but the two late ones came late during the five on three in the last few minutes of the game. But the other part is, like you said, how do you defend the lightning power play? Most teams make it a, a number one priority to take away the seam pass. Like we see Stamkos and Kucherov try that seam pass, and sometimes there's a stick in the way. I thought the Islanders did a pretty good job of that, actually, 
not allowing the Lightning to get that seam pass across. Because if the seam pass gets through, it's a one-timer for either Stamkos or Kucherov, and the goalie is out of position. That's how Kucherov had the open net at the end of the first period, and he didn't get all of it, and and he put it wide. I frankly was very surprised that that was available for the Lightning because it was. The seam pass was open, at least on the first power play. And kind of on the Stamkos power play goal, it wasn't a seam pass, but Kucherov was allowed to weave to the slot and 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 feed it across, and Stamkos had an angle, and, and Price couldn't get over in time to, to shut off the short side post. So let's see if that continues. I mean, I think it's almost like a pick your poison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What play do you want to allow to the Lightning? And probably it's the shot from Hedman, which is a straight-on shot that's the farthest from the net. But even that can pose problems. I mean, you could have a tip. You could have a rebound. And that's how points scored in that Islander game. Remember the one that he scored at the end of the second Mm -hmm. period in game three? That was a Hedman point shot that led to a a second-chance goal for point. But the one thing that that will spell trouble for you big time is if you allow the Lightning to – to use the seam pass and, and go from circle to circle for, sure. for a one-timer. Uh, one other thing that should give the Canadians a bit of a boost tomorrow night, Dave, Yoel Almeria should be back in the lineup, correct? Yeah, and he'll he help there. on their penalty. And he will. Too. That's just another big body. Although and... Evans played well. I thought Evans looked good yeah. last night. Yeah. He did. But Armia should be back, and yeah. you know we'll see if he provides a you know a little bit of a boost. He should be Help the Lightning. They sure. got the lead. Remember we talked uh, about that. Yes. Well, what was the, the stat you threw yesterday? Out? Only twice, the Canadians was was it you that? Yeah, I, since yeah, sure. they went eleven and two, starting with their their comeback against Toronto, and in only two of those thirteen games had they been behind. That's a great at stat. any point, Dave. That's a big deal against this Canadians team for sure. Yeah, particularly a multi goal lead if you can. And we saw that end up being a, a pretty big difference. Yeah, so they got a seeing eye shot from Sharap, but the Lightning still had a lead. For sure. As a result. No doubt. All right, partner. Great job as always. We're going to do it again tomorrow. It's a lot of yep. fun. For sure. Dave Michigan there. Thanks to Steve Verstick as well. We've got the NHL Awards tonight as well. So if you are uh, flipping through the channels, make sure you, you check that out. And uh, we'll see who comes home with some hardware. And uh, Dave and I will be with you again tomorrow, noon to one. And then, of course... We have all of the pregame coverage for you live at Amelie Arena starting at 7 o'clock with Brian Burns, Kaylee Chelios, and Brian Engblom. All right, partner. Great job. Talk to you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow, Greg. Thanks to everybody who listened. Thanks to Brian Engblom. And we'll be with you again noon to 1 on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.